I would say the bottom line for me, a great teacher is someone who teaches the doctrine with the spirit in such a way it inspires everyone to be more Christ-like in their lives. And I think many people use different techniques to do that, but that has to be the bottom line. And remember Alma said when he went out to reclaim the people and finally he summarizes his teaching, he said the word of God had a more powerful effect upon the minds of the people than the sword or anything else. And the doctrine and covenant says, I command you to teach the doctrine of the kingdom. So I think the doctrine has an inherent powerful effect to change lives and our duty is to teach it with the spirit so it helps bring about Christ-like lives and to use the same type of resources the Savior did, object lessons, analogies, stories that are not standalone activities, but they support the doctrine and spirit. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, and I am excited to share this episode with you uh, with Tad and Kathy Callister. I, I struggled because I felt like within it I should you know, call him President Callister and Sister Callister, uh, but then I felt like, oh, is that making it too formal of an interview? Uh, it's exciting to be able to talk about how teachers can be better teachers, and I want you to stick around for the third block. Uh, because I, I feel like we navigate a, a pretty good conversation about what happens when you speak and people take issue with what you say. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode of The Cultural Hall, and I would encourage you, if you like this and or other episodes of The Cultural Hall, uh, share them with someone. Send them the link or tell them, hey, you know what, I've been listening to The Cultural Hall, and uh, let's get more ears on this and every episode of the Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, and I'm excited about this because uh, I get not one but two Callisters, a double barrel Callister episode. It's Tad and Kathy Callister. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. Well, we're You're delighted welcome. to be with you. Thank you, Richie. Now, when you hear Callister, you might go, okay, let's see, Callister. You might think of a Western shop if you live in the state of Utah, or I think that's a, a, show, a, a shop in the Western United States. But this Callister, although maybe related, we haven't talked to genealogy yet, is uh, former general president of the Sunday School. Did I get that right? Titles are so, like, uh, they make yes. me nervous. Is that S right, Tad? Sunday School general president, yes. And, and so, uh, first question, out of the gate, when you are called to be the Sunday School General President, or General, General Sunday School Presidency, I'm already tripped up in it, does that mean that you, Kathy, are also something within that, or is that, all right, Tad, you've got your thing, I'll go ahead and do my thing. Well, we did, we did travel together when he had assignments, I went with him, the wife is part of that, and took part in training, uh, which was a sweet experience to meet really wonderful saints all over the world, so we... So even though it isn't an official calling in my part, it's an unofficial. And we would discuss ideas all the time. Yeah. So, yes, she was very helpful. So the question that I have sort of beyond that, because I'm sure there's traveling, I'm sure there's training and stuff like that. But on a ward level, like I know the Sunday school president, you avoid that phone call like the one of the counselors in the bishopric if you don't want to talk. Because usually the Sunday school president is looking to fill in the, the people to be able to teach class. But what is the... Sunday school general president do general president of the Sunday school. I'm not sure why this is tripping me up so much. No problem. I think our biggest responsibility was to develop the curriculum that eventually became come follow me. Mm. So we had uh, a staff and uh, the 
Sunday school general presidency probably uh, did the skeleton, I would say, for the curriculum, and then the staff would put the flesh on the bones. Hmm. Okay. And uh, so that was kind of our key assignment and developing a book entitled Teaching Like the Savior, which was not the curriculum for the individual members of the church, but the curriculum for teachers of the gospel. We should probably put a little bit in time context. When were you the the general uh, Sunday school president? From uh, 2014 to 2019. And I guess I'm always curious how these calls kind of come about. What were you doing, uh, not literally at the time that you got the call, but like what was life like when you got the call? And what did you think when you got that that, uh, invitation to serve? Well, I was serving as one of the seven presidents of the 70, and I knew I was going to be released because I'd reached that uh, magical age of (laughs) 70. Almost reached. Almost reached it, not quite. And I thought I was going to be on the retirement farm, and then the call came. They're going to set you out to a 70 pasture, right? Oh, he's yeah. great. He's living his best life. And and then they invite you to do that. And is that a thing where you kind of go, oh, okay, well, we had maybe envisioned that life would be different, but now we're invited to serve again. Well, we were happy to serve because we wanted something positive to do, but we had no idea that this would be the way we would be doing it. Yes. What about for you, Kathy? Cause I know sometimes Kathy and or uh, the women in situations are like, okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to finally get my husband back and we're going to go see this and travel this. No, I guess I didn't really have those ideas. You, you worry that your husband's going to have plenty to do <laughs> that. He's not going to be telling you how to do the housework or <laughs> so forth. But so I was thrilled to have him have that assignment. And, um, it's, it was great. And then, as, and then as soon as I was released, she was called as the Stake Relief Society president. Wow. So now I carry her briefcase around <laughs> and help her out. Uh, he's busy. He teaches the missionary prayer course mm-hmm. in, in our stake every Sunday morning at 730. Wow. So wow. He's, he's still teaching and and uh, I, I, I work with that with him some and he helps me with Relief Society. So we still work together. You know, it's a curious thing that just popped in my mind as far as the 70s go. Uh, you know, the, the old joke is once you turn 31, you're out of the young single adults ward and you almost feel like you get put out to pasture with the mid-singles. I, is it a similar thing where jokes are made among uh, the 70s where you're like, oh, coming up, almost not going to see you anymore? Or, or is it just uh, an unspoken thing? I, I'd say it's more of an unspoken thing. and um, But... A lot of us have stayed as friends. We have study groups. We do things together. So mm-hmm. once you develop those friendships, they don't just end because you're calling ends. Those friendships continue on. Uh, and, and we've had some very choice friendships there. Um, for a minute, I'd like to go down the, this road a little bit because you're talking about the Come Follow Me. Were you given the heads up that church was going to be shorter or was that just as big a surprise to you as it was to everyone else? That was a surprise to us as well. <laughs> One of those things where you look around and go, wait, we just developed a book. Now what are we doing? Is it that kind of thing? Well, we actually developed it, you know, because we thought Sunday school would be taught every week. Right. And, uh, but, you know, adjustments are made. So now you just take two lessons and you condense them into one week mm-hmm. is what happens. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, 
I think it made sense, though, to do it for every week because people study every week in their homes. And that was the real intent was to help families study in their homes every week. And then the Sunday school teacher <clears throat> will just take two of those lessons and combine them. So was that the thinking all along was to sort of bring it more into the home when you guys were given the charge to do come, you know, come follow me? Yes, that, that was the charge was to have a uh, home-centered, church-supported scriptural program. That was always kind of the guiding message. Yes. Hmm. Uh, and the, you said the other part of kind of your stewardship in your time was another book called Teaching in the Lord's Way. Is that what it's called? No, is that what it was? Teaching in the Savior's Way. In the Savior's Way. Now, let me ask you, that's the book that teaches teachers, but that that is a book that I think that there's a lot of people that are going, wait a minute, what? There's a book that teaches the teachers? What What is that all about? Well, that sets out uh, various uh, teaching skills that the Savior developed. It was designed to say, take what were all the teaching skills of the Savior, both in terms of how he taught by the Spirit, but how he asked questions, how he used object lessons, how he used analogies, how he reached out to the one. And each one of those lessons focuses on one of those. And the intent was there would be a teacher's council once a quarter and that the Sunday school presidency in the ward would help discuss one of those principles with the teachers hmm. to help them teach more like the Savior. Now, wasn't there back in the day or back in the day being, being maybe before your time, wasn't there a similar book or a similarly named book that was used as part of a weekly instruction for teachers, kind of on the weeks that teachers wouldn't be teaching, they were invited to do another class, almost like Gospel Essentials. Am uh, I am I imagining things from my youth that maybe didn't exist? Maybe different wars or states well, did it a different way. Richie, um, you're so much older than we are, I just can't remember that far back, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there have been, have been other books, mm. and um, the one before... Do you remember the name of it? it was quite thick mm -hmm. and it was great, but it was almost more than people could get through. And so they say as a group decided to, to kind of restructure and make it a shorter so that it was on this, you know, fitting and fitting with what Tad just described. Hmm. Hmm. You know, I, I realized that as we uh, kind of talk about the Sunday school program and everything like that, we don't really know a whole lot about the two of you guys. How did you two meet? <laughs> we met at Brigham Young University, like like many others. I've um, actually, I, you're the first person. I've done almost 600 episodes. You yeah. two are the first couple to ever meet at BYU. Really? Not really. No. <laughs> Uh, here's the question for you. Do you know what church calling I had when Ooh. we met? Well, let's see. Was is it is it one that is regularly in existence or is it one that is a Provo ward only? That will help me. That's the one hint I get. <laughs> no, it's in every ward. Okay. Mm, let's see. You were the It would be fitting with what you're Sunday having school do. president. That's oh, it. you That's get it. the prize. That's it. And, you know, we didn't even remember that until he be, was called as Sunday school, general Sunday school president, however we say that. And we were being interviewed by the church news. And all of a sudden we thought, wait, he was Sunday school president in our and, board. And that's how we met. And she was the two and a half minute talk coordinator. Which they we, used to have, we don't have anymore. For Sunday school, someone in charge of two and a half minute talks. And that's how we build a kind of a friendship and then a dating relationship. 
I'm glad that you specified that was for Sunday school because I was imagining some pretty great sacrament meetings if you have a two and a half minute <laughs> yeah. assignment. Five minute sacrament meeting. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I got I to gotta ask a little bit more then. So what, were you impressed with the way that he gathered the rolls, Kathy, or was it... <laughs> Can we ring the bell? Uh, oh, that's right. We don't even do the bell anymore. What, what, what was it about him, or how did that how did that all come together? You guys gave me such a brief introduction to it. Oh, it's a long story. It's it's yeah. it's quite a long story. You won't hear all of it. We just he um, was somebody. One of my friends had dated him before his mission. Mm. So when we met, was really at a snowball dance at our ward. They don't. I don't know if they do those anymore. But where you you dance and then they stop the music and you go. Each one of you go get somebody else until everyone is dancing and mixing and getting to know each other. So just for a few minutes, we were dancing and I said, "Oh, I I know your name. You're my friends, missionary." <laughs> But, and uh, and that obviously did not work out. She she found someone else that that she did. Yeah. She did. So anyway, then, that was that was how we met in a snowball dance. But I had heard of him before and heard great things about him. And we just just I don't know, just had a lot in common and enjoyed being with each other. And then finally, I did ask her out. And after about four and a half months. I was very shy and timid. I finally got the courage to say, I love you. And mm -hmm. she said to me, I like you too. <laughs> <laughs> and after months of counseling, I was able to recover. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know. He said, I think I love you. <laughs> I have to fix that. <laughs> so so. It, when we're talking about months, then it doesn't sound like it's a a typical BYU relationship then. How long did you guys date before you got married? About 10 months. Yeah, yeah, that's double digit months. That's not common. So good for you guys. Good for you guys as far as I go. Well, so, he, I ended up at BYU for a while and he went to California to start law school. So, you know, we were at a distance for a while. So, so a lawyer by trade. Yes. Uh, and then, uh, Kathy, do you work? Did you work and work those kids into a... a into <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't work for a long time because, yes, we did start a family right away. But um, I was trained in as a teacher at BYU. Oh, cool. And um, But then I didn't ever actually do that. I did student teaching. I worked in a bank for a little while when we were first married, which was... Kind of fun, fun experience in Beverly Hills. So, oh, very cool. Mm -hmm. So, out in California, but and I, I would argue with you that I bet you use teaching literally every day with your family. In, you know, now we're doing this, and then we got to do this, and being yes. able to to be that support that way for sure. Oh, well, we did. And Just she was great at family home evening back in the old days, and they were pretty effective. We used to have flannel boards. Oh yeah, I remember pictures. Mm -hmm. The kids would stick them on the the flannel board and and I still remember one she had the all these inappropriate words like stupid and dummy and they would come and they would put them in the garbage can and then put the lid on it and then it was right out that, of the book but it was fun but yeah. years years passed and our daughter was married and our son was married and one time I was with a little four-year-old granddaughter and I said, oh, your <clears throat> grandpa was such a dummy to say that. And she said, 
Oh, we don't say that word and we don't say stupid either, but some adults do. <laughs> and she had the same flannel board That's lesson right. from her mother that That's right. Kathy had taught 20-some years earlier. And wow. she came to dinner last night with uh-huh. her husband. Mm-hmm. And she said, hey, and we said, are you reading any, any good books? And she said, well, I'm actually reading the book you gave me for Christmas. Oh, And she said, and I just read the story about me. So... <laughs> So we had a fun time reminiscing yes. about that um, experience. experience. And she she remembered it vaguely, but she laughed. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's take a break real quick. And I want to tell people about the book that you gifted and that she read uh, previously, because you guys have a little something to do with that book. We'll come back and we'll talk about that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember that if you uh, find out that uh, the book that we talk about here in the Cultural Hall is available from Deseret Book, that if you use the uh, the passcode, the promo code Richie when you go to check out, if we've talked about the book and uh, and you use Richie, you can save yourself 15% on your order from Deseret Book. Now, why would I be bringing that up? Well, because the book that if you are a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall and able to see the video, you know that it is the book that is authored by uh, Tad and Kathy Callister. It is called Teaching with Power, and it's available from Deseret Book. So bookmark that uh, promo code Richie in the back of your head because you're going to want to buy this book. You guys, this book, Teaching with Power, why did you decide to author it, put it out? Did the Deseret Book come to you or did you come to them and say, boy, if we got an idea, let's get it in the hands of folks? Well, we really didn't go to BYU, uh, BYU Judgment Book and say we have an idea. I was the Sunday school general president, and our whole goal was to help people teach more like the Savior. Mm-hmm. And so there would be talks that I would give, and my wife, when she would travel with me, and we started collecting these talks and these ideas and thought maybe it could be a book. And finally, we put it into a book form and actually submitted it General authorities have to submit their books to the First Presidency for review. Mm-hmm. And they said, would you wait until after you've been released as a Sunday School General President? And I think that made a lot of sense so people wouldn't think this was the official publication mm-hmm. of the church. Mm-hmm. So after it was released, we spent more time. We we wanted to be better teachers ourselves, but being in the Sunday School, that was you know in the front of our minds. And we kept working on it, working on it, till we finally felt it was uh, a viable product that could help people. And then we just submitted it to Deseret Book and they reviewed it and uh, said, yes, we'd like to print it, but we have an editor and they'll make some, you know, refinements along the way. So that's kind of how it took place. So a little kind of disclaimer, this doesn't mean that we are perfect teachers. Oh, no. Um, These are really things that a lot of this we have learned from other great teachers. And I think that's one way to become a better teacher is see what great teachers do. You know, President Nelson, the apostles, um, and just in your own ward and stakes that observe others in, in the classrooms, wherever you are at work, you know, you know, those that are over you at work often are teachers. And and so that's how we've really actually, a lot of this is collections of things that we were inspired by others and then adopted ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. tried to try to do a good job of that. But um, I, he's a great teacher. 
but I have a long ways to go. No, that's She's terrific. She's very genuine. But what she said is true. Once we decided to write the book, it makes you even more observant of how other people teach and say, well, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Rather than just that's a good idea, we then write it down mm-hmm. and, and add to it. And if you don't write it down, the truth is you kind of lose the yeah. focus and power of it over time. But then yeah. after writing it down, you try it. Mm-hmm. You know, you use it in lessons and, and then it kind of becomes your own in a way. You borrowed it. But um, so this is, I mean, we give credit to myriads, many, many people that we've come in contact with through the years. So maybe the hardest question that I'll ask you within all this, and I want each of you to answer this question, is what do you feel like makes a good teacher? I'll let her go first while I'm thinking. (laughs) A good husband always does Yeah, of course. Yeah, Babe, you take this, and then I'll I'll come in. Yeah. Um, Well, obviously to me, and if I'm zeroing in on teachers in the church, which, you know, is – Part, only part of it, but is a teacher that gets you to think, mm-hmm. gets you to explore your own ideas, and then, of course, helps you build your testimony um, through, their, through their teaching, through their examples, through their great questions that they ask. You know, you, a teacher can ask a question that is a factual question and I find myself falling into that. And sometimes that leads to another one. But if you ask a question that causes you to think about, to really think like what did Joseph Smith learn in the sacred grove Mm -hmm. rather than where's the sacred grove? You know, what did he learn in the sacred grove? What were the things that, that were new to the world or to the world of religion that he learned in the sacred grove causes you to think and at the same time helps grow your testimony. I think those are those are the things. And teachers teach in a many a variety of ways. I think there's no one way to be a great teacher or a good teacher. Some do a lot of discussion. Mm-hmm. Some do a lot of lecture. And yet they can be equally great teachers. They just have their own skills and abilities. And we're all different. You know, I teach differently than my husband and you teach, I'm sure, differently than both of us. I think they need to teach to their strengths. All right, Tad, the question to you now. I would say the bottom line for me, a great teacher, is someone who teaches the doctrine with the spirit in such a way it inspires everyone to be more Christ-like in their lives. Hmm. And I think many people use different techniques to do that, but that has to be the bottom line. And remember Alma said when he went out to reclaim the people and finally he summarizes his teaching, he said the word of God had a more powerful effect upon the minds of the people than the sword or anything else. And the doctrine and covenant says, I command you to teach the doctrine of the kingdom. So I think the doctrine has an inherent powerful effect to change lives. And our duty is to teach it with the spirit so it helps bring about Christ-like lives and to use the same type of resources the Savior did, object lessons, analogies, stories that are not standalone activities, but they support the doctrine and spirit. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're in a Sunday school or another class, and within the uniqueness of our church, because you know people are other things throughout the week and then they become a teacher on Sunday, some are very... Uh, practiced in the art of teaching and some not you 
and I don't know if you guys will admit to it, but there, there has probably been a class in your life where you don't feel like the teacher has taught very well or that it's, it's, it's harder uh, than becomes uh, to, to feel a spirit or to learn from the, that opportunity. In those times when the, the teacher may be struggling or the teacher, you know, if we're just being frank, isn't very skilled as far as that goes, what do you think that we as the individual members of that class or of the church can do to be able to help that be a, a more, um, you know, fruitful time? Well, I think one is that, uh, and sometimes it's hard to do, but be willing to participate and try to get it back on track, mm-hmm. or try to focus on the doctrine or try to ask a question. That's an inspired question that opens up a discussion with the rest of the, the class. So I think those are some of the things we can do to try to add to the, the, the spiritual caliber of the class. And I think since we've had come follow me, I think I think the level of teaching has really grown and the level of participation. Um, for instance, I've noticed that most everyone, it seems, at least the majority of the people have read the scriptures that or in Come Follow Me before that lesson, or at least most of them. And so they're kind of prepared to to add thoughts and insights, which in the past, I don't know that that happened as much, but I think we're now encouraged more. And so I think that has really made a difference for all teachers. Hmm. You know, uh, something else that sort of strikes me uh, curious about the whole Come Follow Me thing, and you guys are probably very aware of this, uh, a podcast about Come Follow Me is like fruit on a tree, right? There are there's hundreds of them, and, and you know, it can be a video podcast. It can be five minutes. It can be 20 minutes or an hour. And we've had a lot of those, you know, different teachers or hosts here into the cultural hall. There's a little, there's a little part of it to me though, um, where I feel like like we uh, we're missing the point a little bit, right? Like we we we're invited to bring this into our home and to learn it out for ourselves. And instead, what we've done is said, "Who can teach us?" Come teach me and do this so that that you know that I can know what the translation of this word was originally, or I can hear this grand story from these other people, but we sort of pass that responsibility that I feel like the prophet gave to us on to other people to give to us. I think that's a very good point. And I I learned a lesson when <clears throat> trying to write a book on the atonement, and uh, there would be questions that I would have, and my first thought was go to the commentary. Mm-hmm. and find the answer and then the thought crossed my mind no try to find the answer first on your own and i found when i paid that price then i went to the commentary sometimes the answer was the same as mine but it was mine, not theirs and sometimes mine was different but if i had gone to the commentary first it would have prejudiced me and i would have never gotten there so i would say that while the podcast can be helpful you're right. If it becomes a substitute for your own study and seeking of revelation, it would be a mistake. If it becomes an adjunct to it, it's a help. And you just have to keep that in perspective. Hmm. I want to go back to the book a little bit. Um, 
when you guys talk about that, these are like the different lessons sort of learned as you guys uh, traveled and were able you to gather and see how other different people taught and and be able to bring that and share that not only um, from your experience but from maybe life experience, etc. Is it is it set up in such a way that people as they read can be like, I'm really struggling with group involvement, and they can go to the chapter and group involvement and be able to do that, or is it you know more parable based or philosophical? Well, we hope. We hope that that is the case. I mean, we might not have that exact title, but Mm -hmm. um, there's an an index in the back, but we've tried to do it by topics and, um, you know, teaching by the spirit, teaching by teaching the doctrine. Mm -hmm. And there's a chapter on asking and inspired questions, loving those you teach. So hopefully that they can just go to that section. We've tried to organize it in a methodical way. Of course, him being an attorney, attorneys are very methodical mm-hmm. and very organized by topic. So, um, so I, I'm not so much that way, but we've tried to organize it. But of course, you know, there'll be examples that might cross over within. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to say, Ted? Well, I think it's laid out so that uh, it talks about we, the importance is to teach the doctrine. And we talk about why it's important to teach the doctrine and what some of the doctrine is. We're to teach by the spirit. How do we get the spirit? And then what were the resources and skills the savior had? And she talked about asking inspired questions or teaching with teaching with repetition or using object lessons mm-hmm. or using testimony. And it talks about all those resources the savior used or <clears throat> using discussion. And I would just say, <clears throat> that was one of the greatest problems I think I saw as a member of the Sunday School General Presidency is people substituted discussion for teaching. Hmm. They thought if you just have a good discussion, that was a substitute for teaching. And you can have good discussions in the business world. You can hmm. have good discussions in other places. Discussion is just one means to teach the doctrine. And other resources the Savior used were analogies and object lessons and stories. And nowhere in the scriptures did I ever read the word discussion leader, facilitator, (laughs) or moderator. Mm -hmm. I only read teacher. And that's what we are. We're teachers who use discussion as one means to support the doctrine. We use lecture as a means to support the doctrine. Bruce R. McConkie were the teacher. I'd probably like 80% lecture and 20% discussion. <laughs> Someone else was the teacher. I'd probably like 20% lecture and 80% discussion. But I think it's a mistake not to use all of the resources, visuals, analogies that the Savior used to support the doctrine. You know, it's a kind of a, a fun thing to do is to read through the scriptures. And you can read through all the scriptures, but the New Testament, in particular, the Book of Mormon, and just look and see how the Savior taught, mm-hmm. all the different ways that he taught. Um, and then the other, other prophets, as you read through how they taught in the different ways, and then try to pattern our teaching after the Savior and the prophets, which, which is what we tried, tried to do, you know, in, in the book and in our own lives. It kind of like a football team. I think using the same play every single time they came to the line of scrimmage. Right. Said, well, right. you got receivers, you got running backs, you got all sorts of plays you can use <clears throat> to be more effective. Well, the Savior had all sorts of teaching tools to use to reach different people. Some people are more visual. Some people are 
you know, like to reason things out. Some people like just the straight, pure doctrine. Some like to think it through. And I think the Savior was so wise that he used all of these resources to be the master teacher. And we can strive to become master teachers by following his example. That's what the intent of the book is to do, is to help us try to teach more like the Savior. Was it pretty nerve-wracking for you guys? I know books, uh, oftentimes people will be like, oh, they'll sort of call it their baby, right? That they are putting their baby out into the world and then, you know, wish it luck and hope that it does well. What was the process for you as you put that out? And especially as a couple, right? This is a couple's project and put it out. Was it different from other things that you had written, uh, Tad? And, And then how do you feel like it's been received? It's been out a couple months now at the recording of this. Yeah, I don't know if it was different than other books had written. Uh, other than we did it together, but... Yes, we did it together, which was the nice part, which I particularly enjoyed. And I hope she enjoyed too. <laughs> and, uh, but I don't know if there's an anxiety. You feel like by the time it goes through the first presidency and the time it goes through Deseret Book, you hope yeah. that the doctrine's correct. The one thing you don't know is if it will be... Uh, readily received by an audience. Yeah. That's one thing you don't know. Am I relating to the audience? You know, I may be doctrinally correct, but am I relating to the audience? And that you honestly don't know for sure until right. it goes on the bookshelf. And, and you want, we wanted to bless the lives of, of people. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's and, why we wrote and, it. And we wanted to be better teachers ourselves. Yes. And I think the key thing was to try and help parents be better teachers in the home. It wasn't just teaching in the classroom. It was the focus was mm-hmm. let's all try to help us be better teachers in the home. The classroom is important, but it was secondary. It was a support to parental teaching in the home, which is the prime form for learning the gospel. And there are great teachers in the home. We just yes. run into parents and hear what they've done. And I uh, think you know, it's, it's a challenge with children of different ages from oh. little tiny ones who are running around jumping and <laughs> on the couch or whatever. And, and then the teenagers that are, say, I've got 30 seconds and then I'm out of here. So, um, but I just, we've just, you know, learned a lot of things from wonderful, wonderful parents in the home. And, and, and we learned some things ourselves too, going around. We would try to, you know, we had a six kids and they weren't all at the same level. And one of the things we learned that helped us was to take some of the older kids after you'd have a family night and you had all six and you're trying to teach to the lowest level. Mm-hmm. And we, we did take, it together. But, yes. Yeah. We take one of some of the older ones and we remember one experience. We took one of them and we sat down at the table and we just mapped out the plan of salvation with the map. And when we were through, I'll never forget. He said, mom and dad, why doesn't everyone believe this? Hmm. And it was something we probably couldn't have taught to a three-year-old. Sure. But it was a nice experience to try and take some of them one-on-one. Let's take another break. I think that's a great opportunity to take a, a quick break. When we come back, uh, there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. We will ask those of you. Plus, I got a couple other ones. We'll do that coming back in the third block of the cultural hall here in the third block of the Cultural Hall. Remember, you can always get in touch with us. It's contact at theculturalhall.com. 
If you'd like to uh, suggest guests for a future episode, we'd love to have those. Uh, if you want to say, you know what, I really loved that episode with Tad and Kathy, you should get them back in. That's also a place that you can send us that email. It's contact at theculturalhall.com. Best part is you can send that in the middle of the night because email never closes. I think that Tad knows a little something about getting an email in the middle of the night. That's how I sent this link to him to be able to join this episode. In the middle of the evening. Now, I, I, want, I want you guys to trust me and I want to know about this. Um, but I just also want you guys to be put at ease as I walk into this a little bit. So I know um, recently um, with Brad Wilcox, right? He was speaking... And he was uh, sort of called on, on some of the things that he said. And I, I don't wish for you guys to comment on it. But I know that in the past there were some things that people took issue with you, Tad, and that I'm sure that that scenario, as you are a volunteer lay person, that, 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 um, that scenarios like that, when they get walked out, that it can be a difficult and trying situation and... I, I can't even uh, uh, imagine the disruptedness that that brings to your life. How how did you as a couple find your way through that time of your life when people had taken issue with some of the things that you said? Well, honestly, I, I don't think it was that difficult for me. Okay. I think it's like when you preach the gospel as a missionary, there are going to be people who don't agree with you or take issue with you, and you respect their opinions, and, and you go on. And I felt the same way here. There were some people who disagreed and I had to be at peace of conscience with myself that I taught the correct doctrine and hopefully in a loving way. And if people didn't appreciate that, then I respect their opinions, but I just go on. So I feel like my duty is to teach the doctrine in the most loving, kind way I can. And if that's not acceptable to people, they have their agency and I respect that. So I oh, wasn't really that disturbing to me. And then a question for you, Kathy, because I know we certainly saw this in the experience with Brad, that his wife felt like she needed to say, you guys don't understand how great my husband is. Was there a, a similar sentiment with you? Did you find yourself getting more upset than your husband, Kathy? Possibly so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you love your husbands, and, and you know that they love people. I mean, we both love people, and of all kinds and backgrounds and whatever, and you don't want to ever offend anybody or hurt anybody needlessly. And, um, you know, everything he does, he doesn't love, but he just kind of says it like it is. I, you know, I'm sure I, I'm sure, I think every one of us at one point of our lives, you know, maybe say something that would hurt somebody else and we don't intend to. So, but, I think we just need to all be kinder to one another and more understanding that, that we're human. Mm -hmm. I think there's some balance too between um, on one hand to teach the doctrine in a loving, kind way. And then there's maybe others who would like to soften the doctrine mm -hmm. to meet their ideology. And uh, so I think it's a balance that you have to try and strike. One of the things that I have really um, sort of loved, if you can love part of that experience with Brad Wilcox, is that it is an opportunity for a lot of members of the church to really be able to learn. And I don't know that you know that you would find anything in a book to to say, "Hey, make a make a, a, a misspeak in a large scale so that you can be able to learn about that." Right? That's probably not a chapter in your guys's book, but no. but. No. 
But you can guarantee that that is an opportunity that uh, Brother Wilcox has had now to be able to learn, and a lot of people having that conversation around it to say, well, w- what was wrong with that? I've spoken with people who have said, well, why was that even an issue? What what did he say that was you know so offensive or anything like that? And other people who have said, oh, yeah, no, you need to understand why these kind of things hurt. And so... It's uncomfortable. Uh, Brad's been here in the culture hall with us before. He's one of you know my my favorite uh, guests because he helped us know more about uh, where the cultural hall came from, why we call it the cultural hall. It was a great discussion that we had, and people can find that in our archives. But it is a tremendous opportunity, to your point, to be able to be touched by the Spirit, be able to to learn and to grow, and to be able to say, okay, I came away from this experience with something, and it's not always. You know, it's not always just a discussion or just a lecture. Sometimes it's some of those messier ways that we learn. I think Elder Holland went through the same thing when he spoke at BYU. Uh-huh. And sometimes I think the speaker or writer learned something, but sometimes people who criticize need to learn something about themselves at the same time. It goes both ways. Yeah. There are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, and Dolly will ask those of you right now. I think we already got the answer to the first one. I'll ask it again. Uh, Do you guys have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? Yeah, I think we talked about it. I'm State Relief Society president, which I love. And how much, how how long, I I actually, let me interrupt you, and I'm sorry that I did that. Uh, Do general, uh, I'm sorry, do Relief Society presidents on a stake level serve a certain amount of time? Is there a standard? I I don't know. (laughs) Very good question. I've been, I started right before COVID, so it's been about a little over two years. Okay. So you'll have to let me know then. And then, <laughs> and then Tad, for you, your calling right now is? I teach the uh, state mission preparation class each Sunday morning at 730, which I love with a group of about 30 young people who come. Now, has that changed at all? I don't mean to tangentialize for a second, but has that does that change at all since now there's like stay-at-home MTC? Like, are they coming to that class while they're technically at stay-at-home MTC, or is that there's the two don't intertwine? Well, some uh, who were at the stay-at-home MTC came. Mm-hmm. Most of them were ones who were preparing for their missions, but there were a few who had received the calls and they were stay-at-home and they would come, yes. Mm-hmm. Do you ever, in, in that mission prep, I mean, you're able to teach the skills and be able to teach, and then do you also take that moment where you're just like, I don't know, there's something that I just can't prepare you for, right? Like, there, you will have experiences that there is no way in the world that I could prepare you for. Well, I think that's a good point, and I might use that in my next lesson. <laughs> <laughs> we just do the best we can to yep. prepare them and then realize that there's going to have some experiences that are going to be unexpected. But I think that's one reason that it's important to teach principles versus specific rules, because mm-hmm. principles can apply to a wide range of circumstances. And we used to have missionaries who would ask, can I do this on you know preparation day? It isn't mentioned in the handbook. Mm-hmm. And we would say generally, well, if it prepares you spiritually and intellectually and physically and it's safe, do it. That's the principle. If you understand the principle, we wouldn't have to have this long list of things you can do and can't do or music you can listen to and can't listen to or things you can do on Sunday and you can't do. And I think the Lord tried to teach principles. That's what Joseph Smith said. And when the people couldn't learn the principles, he'd back up with rules like the law of Moses or they couldn't live the principle of consecration. So we backed up with 
tithing. So I think if we can teach them principles, it can help them meet some of the unexpected experiences in life. That's an interesting thing as you were as you were talking about the principles. I often think with the word of wisdom, I think that we have far we have far uh, and away made that sort of the rules of the do's and don'ts. And so many of us sort of miss the principles behind the word of wisdom where I just, I, I'm like, yeah, I know he said healthy and, I, and I'm not judging anyone else, but I feel like maybe we missed the principled point of what this whole thing is about. I think that's a good observation. Good, good yeah. The uh, second question that we ask everyone is, uh, and I and I want you guys to go with this, if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Let me think about that for me. Um, well, while she's thinking, I love my calling right now. I absolutely love it. The mission prep class because I think it's an opportunity at a very critical stage of life to not just help them teach the gospel, but more importantly to me is help mm. strengthen their testimonies mm. and then help them teach the gospel. And if you have a testimony, then you can teach it with power and conviction. And they're very receptive at this age and they ask some very good questions. And uh, so I, I just love this assignment right now. Well, I love what I'm doing also. Mm-hmm. But I do remember, and I'm not, and at the time, very difficult, but one of the sweetest callings we had, we taught seminary, early morning seminary together. Mm. And I'm not saying I want to do that again, but (laughs) it was, you know, every morning, early in the morning. And, uh, but it was just a joy to work together. And we had two of our twin sons in our class. Mm -hmm. And, and so, and they're friends. So it was a great experience to every night study the gospel together in depth. Yeah. We both studied. We both were there every day. Um, we took Taryn's teaching, obviously, but um, it was a great experience to study the gospel in depth together. And we do study, come follow me together. And we do read together every day. But when you're when you're preparing a seminary lesson, mm-hmm. it is in-depth study every night. So we loved it. You know, uh, Tad, question for you about the mission prep. Is there a thing that you see over and over again in those that are coming to the mission prep class that if you could speak to all the parents of potential missionaries uh, in sort of a wide generalized swath, really we need to focus more on this or, you know, help your kids know this before they go out. Is there something that resounds with you with that? That's a good question. I I think a lot of them have testimonies, but it is very difficult for them to teach the gospel in a clear and concise way. Hmm. And I think parents could help their children learn to teach the gospel. And as they learn to teach it, it forces them to crystallize their thoughts. It forces them to weed out the soft spots. And I'd say that was the the greatest struggle that they have is teaching the gospel. And I remember I used to lecture on cruise ships and lecture on legal matters. And the man said to me, dad, if you can't teach this tax stuff to a 10 year old, you don't know it well enough to teach it. Hmm. And I think one day I brought in 10 year olds and they had to teach a 10 year old about the atonement. (laughs) (laughs) And so I would say helping them teach the gospel in a clear and concise way, it will strengthen their own testimony and help them be better missionaries and parents as well. 
a cruise ship where I'm getting lectures from a lawyer sounds like no cruise ship I ever want to be in. No <laughs> offense. They were so entertaining and so fun. You would have paid to come to these lectures, I'm sure. <laughs> Every cruise I've had has had onboard entertainment, but it has not been lawyers lecturing. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you got to get a new life, Richie. Yeah. Well, apparently, I have not you gotta, lived. I have you got to broaden your horizons. <laughs> the uh, last question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, we ask you to interpret it however you may. But the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? I would say to me, the favorite part is uh, knowing that I can be with my wife and children forever, that we're sealed together forever and ever. And to me, that has uh, an incredible, uh, brings an incredible peace, it brings incredible joy and hope and uh, purpose to life. I should have gone first because that was exactly what I was going to sure, say. Sure, sure. Our, our grandchildren children know that whenever we teach them, I always comment on that. And I'll say to them, we want each and every one of you forever. You know, we love you. We know that this gospel is true. We are so grateful for the Savior, for his atonement, and, and that he has made it possible, along with the prophet Joseph Smith and the prophets before and since, to, that we can have each other forever and have, have this joy in our, in our lives. And um, we're so grateful and for that. It seems so natural to me that this life isn't just some random experience, but mm -hmm. this is a prototype of a, a life that will be on a higher plane, but similar to what we're doing here and preparing for there. Otherwise, what's the purpose of all of the families and so forth if they don't continue beyond the grave? So yeah, that's, that's my favorite part of the faith, is that great doctrinal knowledge and mm -hmm. hope. Well, I appreciate your guys' time for sure. Uh, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, Brother Brent, Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast, and Miracles, I told you so, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. <laughs>